Hello, this is Lisa Russick and Misty Lore with the podcast We're All Psychic. And today we have an awesome guest and we had planned on having this guest for a long time and everything got shuffled around. As you know, we had some time off in the summer because of, yeah, we both got sick. <laughs> and Jim, his name is Jim. Jim, would you like to say hello? Hello. Hello, Jim. So, Jim, uh, Misty has a question for you. Oh, I do, Jim. Do you think that we're all psychic? Uh, I wouldn't say I think that we're all psychic. I would say I know that we're all psychic. Oh, I like it. We've only had one other person say they knew. Yeah. Pasha. <laughs> we yeah. love your answer. Yeah. 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 So how it. did you get to that answer? <clears throat> First, let me say, I, I don't use the word no lightly. Um, you know, I have a hard science background. So, for example, I know that the Pythagorean theorem is true. Okay. I know that. You, nothing could possibly dissuade me from that. And in the same way, I know that everyone is psychic. Uh, I, it's also apparent that the vast majority of people are not aware that they're psychic. Oh, yeah. I agree. Totally. So, uh, listeners, Jim has, has written a book called Septemics. And I have it, but uh, I, I didn't really understand a lot of it because it's you have that hard science background. I can see it in there, you know, it's, but it's really fascinating how you've broken down some of the stuff in here of characteristics and people. So would you like to tell the listeners about your book? Um, listeners, the book is called Septemics, Hierarchies of Human Phenomena, Analysis, Prediction and Management of Human Affairs by Jim Marshall. So uh, give them a little rundown about what, what your book's about. Okay, well, I am the discoverer of hitherto unknown natural phenomena, which greatly aid in the understanding of people, from which I constructed a revolutionary practical philosophic system called Steptemics and published it in the book you just referenced. It's okay. awesome. Yeah. The, the cover I'd love. The first, the first transcript of this book uh, was completed in December of 95. So I've had 27 years of observing people's responses to this book. And they have been overwhelmingly positive. So I already know that this book would dramatically improve the life of anyone who takes advantage of it. Having said that, this is a new subject. This subject did not exist before I propounded it. Um, So this is a major discovery. Uh, and it's always hard to get anybody to pay attention to anything that's new, that's especially true. something like this, which is a technical subject. So what I tell all of my clients and readers and such is the way to approach this is realize this is a textbook on a new subject. So you should study it the way you would study a biology text, a chemistry text, a physics text, an economics text. Start at page one and go through it ploddingly. Being sure you understand everything before you go on. Don't skip over anything. Now, of course, I have put glossaries, not only in front of every chapter, but even in front of the introduction. Yeah. And I've made a great effort to make this as user-friendly as possible, which took many years, many, many rewrites. I'm sure. I'm to, get this, yeah. <laughs> to get this to a point where the average person can comprehend it. But you're not going to get it if you skip around in the book. It's not a coffee shop book. <laughs> it's not something that you can just look at like a magazine. You have to, it's just like any technical subject. 
you, if you don't understand page one, you're not going to understand page two, and so forth. So then, I further say, after you finish the book, go back to the beginning and read it again. And when you get to each of the 35 scales, find your level on that scale. And by the time you get to the end, you will have found your level on 35 scales. You will be a new person. Now, what, 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 explain you, these levels. What are the levels? I did notice in the beginning, okay. the very first ones of the leader and the, um, let me get back to that very beginning one uh, that I was looking at, because I like that. I thought it was really cool. I'll find it real quick. It was like, uh, oh, I It's the scale of exit purposes that you're talking about. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah, I want to tell the listeners about that. I thought that was really interesting. It's somewhere in, I just can't find it right now, but yeah. It looks right, like, let, me, uh, let me tell your listeners. What Septemics is, briefly. Yeah. Septemics is a philosophical science based on the fact that many phenomena related to human beings occur in a sequence of seven levels. Literally, the word Septemics means over pertaining to seven. Septemics comprises a collection of scales or sequences, each of which breaks down various human phenomena into a hierarchy of seven steps. There are 35 such scales, you <laughs> expand the spectrum of human experience, meaning there's no situation that's going to arise in the life of a person which will not submit to analysis by one or more of these scales. Okay. Okay. It's universally applicable. It applies to everyone in all situations. Now, now each of these 35 scales is unique is unique, meaning you cannot infer anything about scale one by studying scale two. You cannot infer anything about scale three by studying scale four and so forth. Each one stands on its own. Now, okay. this is very good news because since each one is unique, that is why it stands in spectrum of human experience. And if I were to read to you the names of the 35 scale, you would see that I have pretty much covered everything that's important to human beings. Especially since each of the 35 scales exists on seven levels. So you're going to find something in there that is of immediate relevance to you. May I read you the names of the scales? Oh, yeah. So you know, That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. So these are the individual scales, meaning they apply more to individuals than to groups. The scale of basic purposes, the scale of personal influence, the scale of choice, the scale of permeation. The scale of thought, the scale of identity, the scale of evaluation, the scale of motivation, the scale of control, the scale of stopping, the scale of scholarship, the scale of literacy, the scale of human ability, the scale of memory, the scale of spiritual identity, the scale of mental deletion, the scale of aberration, the scale of physical fitness, the scale of justification, the scale of belief, the scale of equanimity, the scale of attack the scale of conflict, and the scale of reaction. And these are the group scales, the scale of relationships, the scale of life spirits, the scale of government, the scale of civilization, the scale of survival, the scale of management, the scale of exchange, the scale of communication, the scale of allegiance, the scale of sexuality, and the scale of politics. And I can tell you from 27 years of observation, any one of these 35 scales alone, by itself, can dramatically change your life. So can together, you together, 
Can, can you explain what the scale is? Is it like a, a measurement or what? It, what is the scale exactly? Well, it is, it is in a sense a measurement. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like, for example, the scale of basic purposes. Okay. That's the most important of the 35 scales. It's the first one I found. And it's the one that if you find a level on it, will dramatically improve your life. Okay. Just finding a level. Now, um, each of these 35 scales provides the user with an infallible way of determining the salutariness or beneficialness of any group individual or activity. If the group individual activity moves persons or groups up these scales, it's beneficial or positive. If it moves them down, it's detrimental or negative. More importantly, finding out what level you or another person is at on any scale is by itself enlightening and beneficial. When you find your level, or when another person finds his level, a light bulb goes on over your head. And it's a, it's a point in your life from which you will never retreat. You say, ah, I see what's going on here. And that becomes a stable datum in your life, which enables you to deal with everything in the future uh, with greater aplomb more easily. But it facilitates success. Now. Finally, once you know the actual level of any person or group on any scale, you can improve that person or group by moving them up one level. Now, this is very important. One of the axioms of this subject is that you can never skip a level. Think of it this way. If you're on the first floor and you want to go to the fifth floor, one way or another, you're going to have to go through the second, the third, and the fourth. <laughs> Whether you take the elevator, the escalator. Unless you're on Star Trek. You, <laughs> you can get beamed. Even if you're on Star Trek. I guess if you get beamed, you're going through it. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> how <So> it works. <laughs> yeah. But we don't need to get into fantasy here. So this is very practical stuff. Okay. So you could go outside the building and use a rope ladder, but you're still going to go through those levels. So. Trust me on this. I've been working with this material most of my life. Uh, it, I spent 25 years actually writing the book. But before that, I had been discovering this data for an equal period of time and using it, watching it work. How did you discover it? Like, what, when was the spark? Right. What was the spark for you? They, they just came to you, okay. or did you? Well, I'll tell you. Um, I work as a human development engineer for many decades, working with hundreds of people over many thousands of hours. All of my clients improved one way or another. And incidentally, since we're, we run on a subject of psychic ability, all of my clients develop psychic abilities as a result of us working together one way or another. Hmm. Now, that's great. Yeah. That's not necessarily what they were going after. But it happened. In other words, a guy will come in and say, you know, I can't get along with my mother. I don't know what it is. And so we would take that up in a session. And at some point he would say, oh, I see. I knew her in an earlier life. And so that's just said, out of nowhere. They're like, they realize and they remember, right? Yeah, that's like a psychic ability to, yeah. to spot that. Oh, yeah. Experience <laughs> that, understand that, okay? And to see how... That is reaching into his life. Uh, I actually had an incident myself where uh, my father was a very impressive person. 
And I still respect him, even though he's been dead for many years. I still think about him every day. But there was always something between us that I didn't understand it. Then I realized in meditation that I had murdered him in an earlier life. Wow. Long ago. And, you know, that was a big epiphany for me. I cried profusely when I found that. And then after that, uh, you know, all of that went away. Yeah. So you let in, it go. Order to get to that, yeah. in order to get to that, my psychic abilities had to improve for me to be able to see that. Yes. And, and to have that insight. That. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so here's how I discovered it. So I'm working in, with clients one-on-one, all kinds of clients of all ages, of all descriptions. And I started to observe fairly early on uh, that they improved in ways that were predictable to me. Now, I never told that to anyone, but I made notes. And as this went on, this happened more and more and more. And I started observing that my clients were actually going up scales. In other words, a guy would be at a certain level, and he would improve up to the level above it. And I would know before it happened that that was going to happen because I knew the scale. Yeah, you know how they were. Because I had been observing this. Now, after I see all of this was done empirically, there's no theory of satanics. I observed this and just wrote it down. That's how science works. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. And because of my background, I went to school for 28 years and all of that. I was able to see what this was. Now, by about 1992, pardon me, 95, I had about 32 scales. And they had between three and seven levels, varying levels. So now there was one scale in particular that I absolutely knew by that time was correct. In other words, it was reliable. It was as reliable as the three laws of motion. And in 95, I had a big realization one day that there was a seventh level. And when I inserted that seventh level into the sixth level scale, it manifested mathematically. I believe that. Now, the whole point of, of mathematics is that you can derive things by manipulating the formulae. In other words, to the common person, I would say there are always implications in mathematics. Yeah. See, for example, in, in calculus, you look at a formula, you say, well, I can take the derivative of this formula. And see, that's implied. It's embedded in there. And if you know how to do it, which is not hard to do, you can do it. And you, now you have a function that tells you something very specific about that area. Okay. And it's very useful, which is why ca- calculus is embedded in all the science and technology that we have. Everybody in the science and engineering world uses it. Now, I, because of my engineering background, I took 26 semesters of math and loved every minute of it. (laughs) I saw the mathematics in it and I said, whoa, this is natural phenomena. Now, that was not a shock to me because I had discovered all of this empirically. So I was just observing, just like a botanist observing, uh, for example, 
the rose is in the same family as the apple. They're very closely related. Hmm. Now, most people would say a rose is much more like a tulip. It's not. A tulip is a completely different type of being. It's a different organism. It grows from a bulb. Okay, a rose or an apple goes on a tree. And if you look at an apple tree, uh, especially in the wild or a rose bush, they're very similar. So you see, you know, there's a slight genetic alteration there where in one case you get a rose, in another case you get an apple. So that's like an insight that we know from botany. And okay. this is very similar to botany. It's a descriptive science. So when I saw that first scale that you referenced, all these uh, implications jumped out at me. I saw all these things that had to be true from the scale. And I said, wait a minute, this is big. I wonder how many of these other scales that I have are actually seven-level scales that weren't developed all the way because I wasn't developing anything. I was just taking care of my clients. You're observing. So, so I then, because I knew what I was looking for, I was able to find fairly easily the remaining levels in these other 32 scales or whatever the number was that I had in 1995. And in each case, when it went to seven levels, it manifested mathematically. So you know, I worked on Jim, it. something that's interesting that you're bringing math into this um, is that somebody once upon a time came up with a concept called math. You know what I mean? Like what you're, what you have, you have, you have a concept here that right. is, it's just like new, just like at some time, believe it or not, everybody, zero was not, you know, listeners know this, but zero wasn't known that's until, you know, sort of. Until a certain time, you know, numbers they right. understood, and at one time they were just a concept that people were trying to wrap their head around. You know, so you can kind of that putting those two together, even that way, makes a lot of sense to me. You know, right? Yeah, algebra was discovered by the Arabs. You know, as great as the as the the Greeks and the Romans were, and I've studied them extensively, they had no algebra. It was imported into Europe from the Arabs. Okay. So that's an example. You know, that's a fairly late in the in the general yeah. course of history. It's fairly recent. I mean, now, yeah, and they were building that, aqueducts and coliseums and stuff without algebra. You know, be just, yeah. The Romans were the greatest engineers in the world at yeah. that time. Okay. They performed engineering feats that nobody else could even attempt. Oh yeah. Okay. No other humans could attempt. Now, uh so that's, you, that's a very good insight, how this manifested. So when I saw all of these were mathematically derived, I realized that I had something big. And I realized that I could jump from helping people by the hundreds to helping people by the millions. This book is for anyone who can read English reasonably well and can and wants to improve himself or his life. Okay? And I calculate that to be about 400 million people. <laughs> okay? That's so right. that's, the, that's the public for this book. So I already know that uh, anybody who pays attention to it, who reads it, who studies it, is going to be blown away. Now, the reason I say blown away 
That's what they tell me. I don't usually speak that way. Yeah. But that's what people tell me, you know, because I've had people of all kinds, not all people who are highly educated. Now, the first version of this was given to colleagues of mine, all of whom had graduate degrees, because I wanted to see what they thought about it. And they were blown away, although none of them used that verbiage. (laughs) So then I worked on it to try to make it user friendly. And I designed these scales to wrap around the reader. Now, people have asked me, what is this book like? What other book is this like? And I have to tell them, I'm a very well-read person. Okay, I went to school for 28 years. I don't think there's ever been a book like this before. I don't think so either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, it's in everything. It's, it's, but it's imaginative each, and structured. So Each of the 35 scales is expressed in what you might call a table or a spreadsheet Mm -hmm. that is in many ways similar to the periodic table of elements that is relied upon by all scientists. Yeah. Now, the periodic table, when it was invented by Dmitry Mendeleev, revolutionized physical science. It made it much easier to learn it, easier to express it, easier to comprehend it. Uh, And since then, as more uh, elements have been discovered by subsequent scientists, we just kept inserting them into this formula. It works, okay? So he took all the known elements at his time, at his day, which was fewer than 100, uh, and he put them all onto one piece of paper and he correctly related them horizontally and vertically so that as soon as you look at it, you get it. Ah, oh, these are the metals. These are the inerts and so forth. Right. And so, so like as soon as I saw the periodic table, I, I don't know, well, there was maybe 12. It's like, yes, this <laughs> makes sense. Okay. So now eventually I became what you might call a chemistry whiz. Uh, and it all came from that because yeah. it's such a stable data. You can relate everything in, in physical science back to the periodic table. I agree. And that's one, that's one of the reasons why in, in school they teach first chemistry and then physics. Because, of course, by the time you get to physics, you're already on the periodic well, table. Not in Alabama, <laughs> unfortunately. So <there> <laughs> Yeah. That's news to me. Yeah. I yeah. think that's I took physics before I took chemistry in high school. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I, I guess that's possible for somebody to take it. But anyway, <clears throat> each of these 35 scales is an axis against which to judge or evaluate human phenomena and combine the empower one to understand, predict, and manage human affairs to a degree hitherto unattainable by most. In fact, in most cases, I would say, hitherto incomprehensible to most. This is a whole new subject. So I devoted 25 years of my life to developing this subject, because you have to realize, first I had to discover the phenomena. Now that was mostly done by the time I started writing the book. Although I did discover three additional scales while I was writing. Then I had to craft it into a workable philosophic system, okay? 
as an engineer, I'm only interested in two things, results and facts. I'm not interested in beliefs or opinions. They have no place in the engineering world, okay? So it took me about 20 years after I started writing the book to craft this into a, in a, into a system that would work for anybody who paid attention to it. Then the other thing is, I had the challenge of expressing it in a way that would make sense to the average reader. Now, think about this. Yeah. The father of physics, Sir Isaac Newton, okay, he came up with the three laws of motion. In order to actuate that or express it, he had to develop calculus. Yeah. Right. So he wrote the Principia, one of the most famous books in human history, in which he taught all of us calculus, what it was, how to, how to use it, how it works. Now, he was not writing that for the general public. He was writing that for other scholars, for other physicists and mathematicians. Okay? That is not a book that's easily accessible to the general public. No. <laughs> it's, it's, it's even, now I read it when I was 17 because I was a math and science fanatic. Uh, I mean, I was in the math club. That was my idea. I was too. <laughs> I was on the math team. Hmm, I was the worst one okay. was on it. <laughs> okay, so, so uh, he made no attempt to express that to the average person. Similarly, Einstein, he derived his famous formula E equals MC squared, which, by the way, is an approximation. It's not axiomatically correct, like 2 plus 2 plus 4. It's an approximation. Because there's another, there's another term in that formula, which is infinitesimal, so we just threw it out, which is great for the engineering world. But anyway, he derived it mathematically, and then he expressed it in a paper which was understandable to other physicists and mathematicians. He made no attempt to express it to the general public. So I had a much higher hurdle than most of the people who work in the science world, because I was determined to write this in a way that the average person would get. Even people who have very little education, because there are some very intelligent people who have very little education. For example, Abe Lincoln, who was brilliant, had at most one year in school. He taught himself, yeah. Uh, Edison had really no school. His mother homeschooled him, taught him reading, writing, and arithmetic. Mother must so, you know, you can be, you can be, well, you don't have to be too brilliant to teach reading, writing, <laughs> to teach him, yeah. Right. So, uh, I wanted to get this in the hands of anybody who wants to improve himself for his life because since time immemorial, Humans have had a couple of basic problems that have beleaguered them. One of them is the gradient problem. And let me tell you what I mean by that. A gradient expressed in common, common language means doing it little by little. Yeah, okay. Nobody can lose 100 pounds, but you can lose one pound 100 times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay? So every good teacher, counselor, facilitator, Therapists in the world understand gradients and how they are crucial to helping the person. Okay, 
So this is something that I understood uh, from my formal education, but then as a human development engineer, it was absolutely embedded into everything that I did. For example, I had some clients who, for whom English was not their first language. They came to me from Europe. So I had to use the right gradients with them. You see, there is a scale of literacy, as I mentioned before. So I would know that they were not as literate as most of my clients. So I had to be very careful to get on a level that they would understand me. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's what I did with this book. Now, I started school when I was three, and I've been involved in education one way or another to this day, my whole life. And so one of the things I learned is how to teach and how to learn. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, yeah. learning, learning how to learn, I could have that by the time I got out of college. But then as I worked as a tutor and a counselor and a coach, I, I learned how to bring the person along, how to get him to see what I was telling him. Right. And I was able to teach. Yeah. Yes. I was able to teach fairly complex subjects to all kinds of people. Uh, Like, for example, when I was 19, I tutored an 18-year-old girl in algebra. You know, know, she just didn't get it. And I was able to express it in the way that she got it. So I sort of learned how to work backwards with my clients. In other words, first you have to figure out what the person doesn't understand, which is like detective work. And then you have to explain that in a way that he will understand. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I learned in this whole process, the lifelong process, the person never knows what he doesn't understand. Right. (laughs) Yeah, they don't. Sometimes he thinks he does. Right, but he doesn't. And I can tell you as an experienced tutor, it's always a red herring. Yeah. Like if a, like if a client comes to me and he says, uh, I have a terrible time keeping a job and I know why. The, and then he's going to tell me why. The only thing I know about what he just told me is that that's not the right thing. It's something else. Mm-hmm. Because if he knew what it was, it would have gone poof. It would have gone yeah. And that was my specialty. I would get the person in the session. We would work on a subject, usually in a matter of minutes, like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Sometimes it would go into hours. Uh, And at the end of it, whatever it was would go poof, it would vanish. It would disappear. In other words, it was no longer an issue for him. It was no longer a barrier for him. So I used all of that in writing this book. So it's an 86,000 word book. So I had to look at it. Word by word, literally, how are people going to look at this word? How are people going to accept this word? How are they going to... You never can predict that. (laughs) That's what I I worked on. I think I did a pretty good job. You did. There were many rewrites, many rewrites of this book. Of course, putting in all the glossaries was part of that. Defining things in a way that were not difficult. You know, I had worked with clients. I had one client and I was working with him. He was not a well-educated person, and I was helping with his education, uh, and I had an unabridged Webster's Dictionary, which weighed about 30 pounds. It's big. Yeah, I've had one of those. I could <laughs> see my grandfather did. that. This is a long time ago. This is like 40 years Yeah, ago. my grandfather. I could see that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I could see that it was too much for him, you know. And I learned to get a dictionary that was commensurate with the person. Yeah. And this is one of the ways in which our education system fails. You know, they all tell you, oh, get a collegiate dictionary. Most people can't use a collegiate dictionary. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So, for example, Thorndike Barnhart had three dictionaries. An in, uh, a beginner's dictionary, an intermediate dictionary, and an advanced dictionary. And if you use all those three, it really helps the people because they get it in a way, you know. If you look in a collegiate dictionary, it defines things in a way that there's four or five words in that that they don't understand. Then you have to look up those words. Yeah. Then when you look up those words, there's three or four More words, words that they don't <laughs> understand. You have to look up those words. And yeah. you could spend... Many, many hours unraveling this, okay? I didn't want to do that to my readers. I wanted them to get it right away. So if you look at the glossaries, you see they're concise. Yeah, For they example, are. there's a scale, scale of communication. Now, if you look at the word communication in a good dictionary, it's got about 35 definitions. So a person could reasonably say, what definition is this author using? Well, I tell you what definition I'm using. I give one definition of communication, it's only a line or two. It's it's the correct definition. Okay, Once you get that, you know what I'm talking about. And I did that for every level. Now, there were 245 different levels because there's 35 scales, each of which has seven levels. There's 245 different levels. So each one had to be researched, verified, and expressed in a way that made sense to people. And I'll give you an example. The scale of sexuality. Level two on that scale is a level that most humans never get to. And I call it take it or leave it. There are people whose attitude towards sex is so elevated that they can take it or leave it. Yeah. There's not many of them. But somebody like that, you know, if he goes on vacation and meets a woman, that's great. And if he doesn't, that's fine too. Yeah. Because he can take it or leave it. Yeah. You see? Yeah. So that's what I call the level. Now you can say, well, that's not a very elegant name. And I agree with that. Why but, does it have to be elegant? That's a, I think it's very fitting. Okay. <laughs> okay. Again, it goes with my purpose, which is to communicate to anybody who wants to improve himself or his life. People know what you mean when you say take it or leave it. You know, somebody says, uh, you know, do you like basketball? And the guy says, I can take it or leave it. Everybody knows what that means, right? So that's a way to express a state that most people have never experienced. Right, right. I have a a question, Jim. I'm really curious. This whole time you've been speaking, I'm really curious what about you makes you want to help people? Because obviously all your life you're interested in sciences, but you also have this human side, like you really want to help people's lives better, be better, you know, and make them happier. What, what drives you to do that? What drove you to look at the world differently and look for that? I actually, people? I actually think I was born that way. Yeah. I was always like that. You know, yeah. I, I didn't want to hurt people. Uh, I wanted to help people. So if somebody had a problem, I was always there, Yeah, you know, to try to assuage, you know, like, for example, 
I was an altar boy from age 10 through 13. Well, at that age, having grown up as a Christian, that was my idea of how to help. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I was part of this big thing, you know, because in those days, most of the people in this country went to church on Sunday. Right. And when they got to the church on Sunday, I was on the altar. Yeah. Yeah. Serving. Yeah. Participating and facilitating. Now, I don't know how much you know what, what Walter boys do. I know a lot. I was raised Catholic. <laughs> I went okay. to Catholic school so, for you know, years. They're, they're so. help, they help the priest wash his hands, dry his hands, you know, and yeah, with the host. Carry the stuff So around. that's And starting from what I don't really know how old I was, maybe eight or nine, I was selling raffles for the church. Oh, every, wow, yeah. Yeah. Every yeah, year the church would raffle off a new car. I lived in a big, fairly well-to-do parish, and I was out there as a little kid after school, knocking on doors, which mm-hmm. liked to buy and collect and collecting quarters for the church. That's so sweet. No, yeah. you're just born no, that way. You just want to do good, right? right. The, the idea, the idea that I would keep any of that money at this like never even occurred. Wouldn't have thought of it. Yeah, that I never. Yeah. So that's just how I was. Uh, and it made me a team player, which made me good in team sports, baseball, football, soccer. You know, I did all those things yeah. and I was a real team player. Uh, so then whatever group I was in, I was very valuable in the group because I was a team player. And that's yes. You know? That's important. Yes. Right. It wasn't about me. It was about the group. About us. Yeah. Right, and then you get to do that and expanded it to the whole world. Now, as an, that's right, right. For example, in in those days when I was a kid, Americans were very patriotic. Uh, that's no longer true, with good reason. But but you know, I proudly stood in attention for the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, and in military school. For the for the raising of the flag and lowering the flag every day, you know, I was I went to because I was willing to die for my country when I was thirteen. Yeah. Okay, so if you talk about helping people, yeah, you know, that's service. <laughs> that's service. Yeah. Right. So you're right. just kind of it feels like no, you're no. called to service, and it's almost as though whatever guided you to acknowledge and realize the system that you have written about. Um, I feel like it's almost like you were destined to, it seems like, um, you know, what's interesting. I don't know. I have a question for you. Have you ever looked at numerology before is your, as a mathematician, as, as studying math? I mean, have you ever looked at the divination of numerology? I'm just curious because your septemics have, your septemics have very interesting correspondences to div- divination in numerology. For example, seven okay. in numerology is the number of philosophy it's the number of religion spirituality knowledge teaching learning and then uh when you add up the all the levels it comes down to 11 which comes down to two so because you said it was 235 you add those up and it's 11 and it's 11 two so 11 in numerology 11 slash two is how you would break that down and that is the master teacher number so i just think uh-huh. you find that interesting because both those numbers you come up with in this book, and they're both 
really big numbers in numerology. Yeah, that's very, very, it's interesting. very interesting uh, to me. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, yeah, I think it's very interesting. So the 11 2 is the master, one of the master teacher numbers. And uh, you just have to look at that sometime if you haven't before numerology. Okay. Right, send me an email. So, I'll give you a place to start. <laughs> I, have, I have two responses to your question. Short responses. I did not really look much into numerology. I know a little bit about it. I discussed it with people. Uh, it's not one of my areas of expertise, but you have to realize that this information was discovered empirically. It presented itself to me in ways that proved it was undeniable. You know, like uh, I would, even in life, I would meet people, I would see persons at a certain level, and I would know if that person improves. He's going to go to this next level. And if he decays, he's going to go down. To I was going to ask you that. Do people ever go down? I guess they oh, do. Oh, sure yeah. they do. Sure they do. And, you know, first I saw this in the context of helping my clients. So they were all going up, going up, going up, going up. But then outside of the session, most of the rest of my life, the other 22 hours a day, I would observe this. And I would see people go down these scales. Yeah. So if you have a, if you have a person who crashes, every person who's doing very well and he crashes, uh, that person goes down several scales. He doesn't just go down one scale. All he goes down scales. any. Yeah. Right. Can he get yeah. back up those scales pretty easily? Can he, can he get back? Or can he get back to the scale that he was pretty easily, or does he have to do all the work again to get back there? Well, it depends. It depends. If a person is badly traumatized, he's driven down scale. Now, if the person gets some serious help, he can go back up. But a lot of people don't. Yeah. Like a lot of people, when they have something bad, they don't get any really constructive help. They just seek refuge in drugs or alcohol or yeah. something else that's equally destructive. Yes, I agree. I had, or they take it I out had, on someone else. Yeah. I had a client once who was a, a very respectable person. He had a lot of money. Uh, he had his own business. He had a whole family, own property, you know. And I worked with him. And he was somebody who uh, I sort of, we were friends. And I said, look, he knew that I did this counseling work. I said, look, I think I can help you and your family. You know, let me do some work. He said, okay. So we did this work together. And, you know, of course, it was very positive. And then instead of him moving on, he went back. He was married to a crazy woman. I mean, she did things that truly crazy things. Yeah. You know, this is not subtle. And so he, he could have saved himself but he went back to her yeah he could and that's because it's because he was at a particular level on the scale of basic purposes i uh, see so, this you're, wow, you're putting it to work i see now i'm getting it i'm starting yeah, to get it jim yeah. starting to get it i'm getting it better yeah, yeah. Now, you're doing good <laughs> how quickly it happens this is more a function of the scales themselves now, some scales are long-lived. For example, the scale of basic purposes. Every human being at any point in time 
has one of the seven basic purposes. When you find your level on that scale, it dramatically clarifies your life because you throw out the other seven things, pardon me, the other six things, and you know what you're about. Right. You can stand your own ground. Yeah. Right. You, you, it's oh, like a big, oh, I see. This is my thing. Yeah. This, and so that is a scale that this is what you might call a persistent trait. Now, there are, there's a very small percentage of people who move on the scale. If someone has a spectacular transformational experience, he might go up one level. And if he has a horribly traumatic experience, he might go down a level. For example, somebody who's in a Nazi death camp and survives, there's a good chance he's going to be driven down scale. He might go down from whatever level he's at to the next lower level. Now, if he gets some serious therapy, something actually effective, he could get back to his previous level. Uh, but that happens, I would say, in a minority circumstances because there is, there is a, a stigma connected to anything like that. You know, people think if you go to a psychologist, you must be crazy. A lot of people do. Not as much as they used to, yeah, but they it's, do. It's changing a little do. bit now. Not yeah. as many. Yes. But, you know, if you go to a good psychologist and you have a situation, he can help you to see some things and get you to move back up. Now, so I gave you an example of a, of a scale that's hard to move on, meaning most people spend their whole lives at one level on that scale, scale of baseball. Now, you take a scale like the scale of evaluation, people move up and down on that scale by the minute. A person comes in at levels four, which is neutrality, and in two, three, four minutes, he's either going up or going down. Yeah. So that's a scale on which it's very easy to move. It's very quick to move. Now, there are specific scales and general scales. Generally speaking, the general scales are more, more long-lived, like the scale of the basic purpose, as opposed to the scale of uh, evaluation. It's a specific scale. So let's take, for example, the scale of motivation. There are only seven basic motivations. All the other motivations are subsets of these seven. Now, when you look at it that way, it's not hard to determine either your motivation or someone else's because you're not selecting from some unknown number. See, if I stop some guy in the street and say, well, what's your motivation toward your wife? He's going to look at me blankly and say, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, maybe not but if, I say, <laughs> but if I say to him there are only seven basic motivations and here they are and he looks at it he'll, in seconds he's going to say oh I see I'm here at level four that's not so great you see yeah. and then I'll say well you can now move up to level three and your relationship with your wife will improve so it's, you know, it depends on the person. It depends on the scale. That is really cool. So I, I'm looking at the scale of motivation right here. Um, it, how do, I mean, I, I would have to read the book. I, get, I mean, read through the, the yes. chapter to understand exactly what charity, duty, status, wealth, revenge, suicide, destruction, listeners, as an example, this is the scale of motivation from one to seven. Um, and I just love the way you have it 
like laid out. I just never really thought about it this way. So this is, you're really giving people a different way to think about things and life and breaking it down. And so I I think this is really cool. And, you know, you really caught me when it, when it linked up with numerology that way, that one really, that really made me interested because that's something I'm interested in. So you reached me that way with, Uh you know, like, you know, this really caught me. And now, now that you've explained the book more, I understand it better. I understand what I'm looking at hearing right. you talk about it. And listeners, he, it, this is really fascinating. I would definitely recommend anybody who's interested in improving their life and has a scientific in, you know, background or interest or doesn't. I think this could help a lot of people. Um, I, I really do, Jim. Yeah, you don't, you don't need a scientific background. You don't need this one, one, but it would help. <laughs> because I, let me tell you Anal- Analyze it, you know. Yeah, analyze it is something you learn. It's usually. 20 years ago. I was with a buddy of mine. This was in the early stages of this book when I was working on it. I had it in a transcript form. I was researching it. I was getting feedback from people, you know, this whole big project. So I'm talking to my friend about politics and government. And I said, hey, wait a minute, I want to show you something. So I opened the transcript to the scale of government. And I just handed it to him. I didn't say anything. Okay. So he takes it. He looks at it. And in about two seconds, he pointed. He said, I'm right there. Yes. He found it the level on that scale without my even suggesting to him that he should be finding his level on the scale. <laughs> he just did. That's <laughs> how effective this is. Yeah. I'm looking at you the know, scale of like, government right now. It sounds like you really break it down to a T. Is what it sounds like in, in the book. I mean, it does. Yeah, like this is yeah. listeners. I'm looking at the scale of government. And the the list from one to seven goes libertarian, very little control needed. The Republic controls cautiously. Democracy controls indifferently. Socialism controls antipathetically. Antipathetically. I did say it right. Okay. Fascism controls brutally. Communism controls covertly. Anarchy, no attempt to control. That's very interesting that you would have anarchy and libertarian so separate. You know, it's just really cool. No trust or agreement. Insane, sane, complete trust and agreement. It's going back up the scale on the right side of his scale, uh, graph he has here. So, uh, the, and it kind of explains like basic human themes that we all live with. I, this is really cool. I'm, I'm getting it now. I thank you for doing this podcast finally. This is really great. Missy, do you have any questions? Let me, let me just explain something because you got onto the scale of government. Yeah. One of, one of the reasons why Earth government for 6,000 years coming up to this moment has been unstable, problematic, and dysfunctional is they have all of these bizarre ideas. Like we have this idea of the left and the right. That's completely arbitrary. I totally there is agree. No <laughs> I know, right? You were talking my language. <laughs> Thank you. I'm with you. It's ridiculous. If you look at this scale, this scale is natural law. Now, what you didn't say about it is it goes from maximum liberty to the least liberty. Everybody will understand that. When you go from libertarian to republic, there's a little less liberty. When you go to democracy, there's a little less liberty still. And as you go down, there's less, get down to communism, there's virtually no liberty. And then you get to anarchy, 
Anarchy is the worst possible state. Anarchy is unwilling. Nobody's to working together. Him. Right. Yeah, nobody's working together. Yeah. Right. Right. Thomas Paine, the father of the American Revolution, famously said, "Government is at best a necessary evil." Okay. Yeah. At so best. Need, yeah. <laughs> need, That's a good way to say it. The worst. Don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> Okay. So so anarchy doesn't doesn't work because what anarchy means is. Anybody can come into your house, kill you, take your money, and just go away. There's no, there's no consequences. Him. Yeah, there's no consequences. It's like these people want to defund the police. The police are the most basic function of government. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Now, even if you lock your doors, even if you have a gun, okay, they can break down the doors. They can break down. They can come in. They can do whatever they want. If there's people, if people... Criminals, we're not talking about normal people. Criminals <laughs> are controlled by fear, okay? They are. They don't want the cops to catch them, okay? They don't want to get hung, hanged, or executed for murdering people, okay? That keeps them somewhat in check, okay? So right. when you have anarchy, that goes away. So when you start. Yeah, most people, when they talk about anarchy, are pretty uh, idealistic. You know, people who think it would work are pretty idealistic, yeah, and, right. and they don't think of yeah. human nature very much when no, they like, no. us be anarchists, you know, and, and no, the, like, people I've heard talk about it are like, well, we'll have little little villages and we'll all help and trade. And it's like, yeah, no, it's not how it would go down. Yeah, it's not how it would go down. Yeah, it's not human nature, but I don't know. If you as know. I explained, as I explained in that chapter, each level of the government is a reflection of the populace. In other words, you get what you deserve. Now, if you look at America under the first six presidents, okay, from Washington through John Quincy Adams, they were brilliant, idealistic men who gave their service to the country, okay? And in that context, a republic worked. As soon as Jackson came in, there was a drastic change. It went down to democracy. People didn't want to listen to these elites who were all well-educated and highly intelligent men. Okay? Right. So, so when Jackson was inaugurated, all kinds of wild people went into the uh, White House. They got drunk. They wrecked things. They had fistfights. This is all in history. You can look this up. And it's because it went down to democracy. Okay. Now, at a level of democracy, people are not as responsible as they are. So that is why that is why when when Ben Franklin came out from the Constitutional Convention, the woman said, "Dr. Franklin, what kind of a government are we going to have?" He said, "A republic, if you can keep it." Yeah. So it has been proven. It has been proven redundantly that we couldn't keep it. Yeah. Now, Why? in that chapter, I because the, the populace of the United States has been going down steadily. If you read the book, I say in one paragraph, I give the entire history of the United States and how it went from level one down to level five, which is where we now are. And I explain in great detail all of it. But we're getting too much focused on one chapter. 
It's still kind of cool to dig into one because it helps, you know, what all the, and the like, every it, chapter yeah. is that has got that much heart into it and so much information. Yeah. And yes. It's just, it's great. But let me say something general. The data in this book are vital for every human being and can help you achieve your goals faster and easier by explaining what might otherwise seem to be inexplicable or random. Yeah. If, if you were to invite someone to a rendezvous, you would tell him the exact location and perhaps also how to get time. <laughs> and the time right? Okay. Yeah. If you didn't do that, how would he get there? <laughs> Needless to say, it's very difficult to get somewhere if you don't know where you are, don't know where you're going, yep. and don't know how to get to your destination. Now, this sounds idiotic, but most people do this regularly. So much so that it's considered normal. Yeah. So this book solves that problem. It tells you across 35 axes how to find out where you are, what the next level up is, meaning where you will get if you succeed, and what the next level down is, where you will get if you fail. I have a question. I'm going back to the very first scale. I'm going trying to find it in the book, The Basic Purposes. Um, mm -hmm. So let's say the, the very seventh one, listeners, is subversive, destruction, right. fear, stupidity, criminality. And this is under subhuman. So um, yes. can someone that destructive say, you know, or that damaged is to be that way, can they come out of that? I mean, can, do you believe that people can come from this seventh level of just utter destruction of, of character, of who they are, up to, say, a saint at the top of the list? Could, could they? Could they first recognize all, that they are subversive? I'm going to answer your question. First of yeah. all, I want to tell you, it has nothing to do with what I believe or don't believe. It has already been determined scientifically in the mental health community that uh, sociopaths and psychopaths do not make progress in therapy. It doesn't matter how good the therapist is. It doesn't matter how many sessions they have. They do not make progress. That is a known fact. This has been known for many decades now. So the answer is no. Okay. That is why I say this book is for people who want to improve themselves or their lives. So let's a person says, you know, I really am not right. I need some help. I'm going to go to a psychologist. Okay. That person wants help. He wants to improve himself. Right. right. He's right. investing time and money. And if he gets doesn't himself, want to go to the therapist. <laughs> that's right. The people at the bottom of the scale you just referenced, people at five, six, and seven, they cannot be helped. Can not. They have to want okay? to be helped, right? They, they have to recognize what they are, I guess. And, and then from there, want to. Yeah. yeah. Right. So take level six, the criminal. Okay. Yeah. A criminal's objective is pleasure. Okay. Criminals don't, right. particularly, don't particularly want to kill you, but they will if you get in your, their way, okay? A certain, like, you know, so guy's doing a drug deal, right? And you come upon it. He says, well, I better kill this guy because he's going to be a witness. He's doing it as an expedient point. He's not inherently destructive like Hitler or Pol Pot. They were at level seven. If you study those men, which I have done, you can see that they did 
outrageously destructive things. They weren't only destructive to their enemies. I mean, that's kind of understandable. They were destructive to their own countries. Yeah. To their own, their own interests. Everything around them. Yeah. Yeah. Hitler was destructive to his own military. To his and own probably nation. to themselves in some way. You know, you know, there's a famous story, Albert Speer, who was one of the top ministers. Uh, he was sort of, he was almost like Hitler's son. He was, Hitler loved him because he was brilliant. And Hitler had given an order, what was called the Scorched Earth Order. He told his military to, this is in 1944, 45, as the Russians and the English and Americans were causing it on Germany. And there was a point where, especially in 45, it was inevitable that they were going to get to Germany and the Germans were going to lose. So he, told, he gave an order to destroy everything. He told them, blow up the hospitals, blow up the train stations, blow up the schools, blow up the, the dams. He told them to destroy the scorched so that when the conquering people got there, they would have nothing. They would be conquering rubble. Okay. Yeah. And Albert Speer, to his credit, countermanded that because he was above all of them. He was like what we would call a cabinet level person. Okay. He said, no, he stopped it. And he went to Hitler and he discussed it with Hitler. And he said to him, yes, I countermanded this because what's going to happen to the German people if we lose? They're going to have no schools. They're going to have no water supplies. They're going to have no food. Okay, and Hitler let him get away with it because he liked him and respected him. But that's a perfect example of how destructive Hitler was. And Albert Speer was not. Albert Speer was much higher on the scale. Yes, he was a Nazi. But in Nazi Germany, if you were not a Nazi, you got nothing. You had to conform. You couldn't get <laughs> You had to conform. Yeah. So, for example, uh, Werner von Braun. Okay. Yeah, we he know was, him. <laughs> okay. He's right. He's right north. The Von Braun Civic Center is north of us in Alabama. Yeah. He, like, Albert, like Albert Speer, was a highly intelligent, very well-educated person. And he knew he was not going to get any funding. He was not going to get a position unless he was in the Nazi party. They were both SS officers. But they were not evil and they were not crazy. They were just manipulating the system. They were surviving. Okay. Yeah. Right. So Von Braun is the is the father of the American rocket system. Yeah. He created the V2 rocket. He came to America with with about 300 of his engineers. They were all handpicked. And all of that became the US rocket system. The US became NASA. And all of the rocketry came from those men. All journalists. Yeah. yeah. So so there's a difference between being part of a bad group and being a destructive person. There yeah. are some people in the mafia who are not inherently destructive. Yeah, they just kind of born people. into it. Some people are just born into it and they just that's right. That's all they know. That's all they know. That's right. That's all they know. And for whatever reason, they got inveigled in it. And some of them were able to get out of it. You know, the general rule of the mafia is once you're in, you're in forever. Right. Yeah. And if you try to get out, they kill you. But there are a few people who got out and lived to tell the story. Right. So, you know, but most of them were down at level six 
and a few of them were level seven. Interestingly enough, the people who are at level seven in the mafia are people who were killed by the mafia because they were uh, problematic. You can't have people going around killing and raping, you know, whoever they want. No. That's not what the mafia is about. Okay. The most successful mafia don was Carlo Gambino. Okay. He never got caught. He died in his home. Everybody knew who he was. You know why? If he didn't get him, he was smart. Yeah. He didn't attract attention to himself. If yeah. anybody got out of line, he had them killed. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, because I've studied this, most of the time, if the mafia has somebody killed, there is a reason for it. Yeah, they have the laws, you know, to where if you that's break right. one of the laws, you know, that's it. Their own laws, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's how now, they, it's they true, run. It's true that Murder Incorporated, for example, which was part of the mob, they were professional hitmen. You could go to them, yeah. you give them whatever the price was at the time, $5,000, and they kill somebody. That's a different thing. That's a service. But in general, the mafia did not kill people indiscriminately because it's not smart. No. No. They, they, they want to be a stronger team, kind of. You know, they, they're they want to make yeah. money. Yeah. They, wanted they still wanted to make That's it their community, too, though. You know, they were yeah. still trying to build a community, too, as they did that. You know, right. 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 a family. Yeah. You know, the mayor of Las Vegas, I forget how many terms he had, three or four. And he had like 70% uh, favorability rating. He was continually reelected by landslide until he finally retired and his wife took over. Yeah. That's how popular. He was the the lawyer for the mob in Vegas. There you go. And his mother famously said, Oscar's clients don't hurt anybody. They only kill one another. Yeah. That's an exact quote. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jim, do you, so, have, any, do you have any advice to people? If they, if they, if, uh, listeners, I'm telling you, you got to get this book. But uh, do you have any advice to people who get this book and are just starting out? And, and they, okay. they listen to this podcast, let's say, of course, because you're right. giving them an advice. How would you, what would you want to tell them about it? You well, know, my first, my first advice is go to my website, septemics.com. S-E-P-E-M-I-C-S. Okay. Because then you can see what many readers have said about it what many journalists have written about it, what the reviews are, and you can read sections of the book for free. Well, there you go. So that's the first thing. And you have to realize it's in hardbound, softbound, and ebook. The ebook is very inexpensive, like all ebooks. Yeah. So for 10 bucks, you can change your whole life. I love that. And some time. It's <laughs> reading. So, thinking. Thinking. You gotta want to processing. Do, you know? Yeah. Really That's why you're buying the book is because you want to change something or you right. want to change your right. life. And now remember, it doesn't necessarily mean you want to change yourself. That's no. why I self no, 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 yourself no, no, no. your life. Because you might have a guy who is very upscale, right? Who's married to a Looney Tune. Okay? <laughs> that happens. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So, so he might say, hey, I can use this to straighten out my life. I'll give you a perfect example. Most parents have children in school. And at some point, most of those kids have trouble with school. Okay? Yeah. Even the smart ones. 
Who, yeah. Like, you know, a guy is real good. He has trouble with one particular thing, you know? Right. So there is a scale of scholarship. That scale tells you with specificity how to become a better scholar. So the parents can take this and say, you know, I got to help little, little Albert here. He's having trouble in school. And he, she can put him aside and say, come here, sit down for a minute. Read this glossary. Okay, I read it. Good. Now read this scale. And the kid, I'm talking about a kid who's like 12, 13, right? Not a little kid. He'll take this, he'll look at the scale, and he'll say, ah, I see. I'm right here at level five. And then you say to him, okay, now let's move you to level four, and you'll be a better student. And you just follow the instructions that I give in the chapter on how to make a better student, and you will move him up to level four. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the parent, you see? But the kid is having trouble, and she can help him. The yeah. mother can help the kid. Yeah. So that's what this book is like. So it's helping yourself or your life. That's so right. yeah. So you might have somebody who's somebody who's you know at the top of everything, like uh, Elon Musk, brilliant, handsome, rich, smart, connected. Okay. He might have nothing wrong in his life, but he might have a cousin or an yeah. uncle. Or a nephew who's having trouble. That happens, okay? That happens in the best families. You have somebody who, no matter how wonderful the parents are, the kid turns out to be a drug addict. Yeah. Or it turns out to be manic depressive. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is, okay? Totally, yeah. And you can, you can use this book as an enlightened person to help that person. And I tell you, in the book, how to use it to help yourself and how to use it to help others. There's no guesswork here. It's like a cookbook. Okay. <laughs> I like that. It's yeah. like a book, cookbook. Yeah. 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 And you have to realize each one of these scales is a roadmap for the corresponding area of life. So let's say there's a scale of thought. There are seven levels of human thought. Okay. And you can improve yourself from whatever level you are to the next level up. Or you can use it to help another person. If you see somebody who's at a low level of thought, like level seven is, is, seven is denial. I so see you it. see somebody who's in denial and you move him up to level six, you have helped that person. Yeah. You see? Now, think of it this way. You, you break broken Each, into scale of thought into sane and insane. That's interesting. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So think of it this way. Each of these 35 axes and corresponding scales is a roadmap to that area of life. So think of it this way. Uh, every human being is at some level on every scale. Every human being, you are on one particular, at any given point in time, you are at some level on every scale. And by finding that level, you clarify your mind and you open the way to improving yourself to the next higher level. Okay. And you have to realize you're doing this without, once you have the book, you don't have to spend any money. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to hire anybody. You don't have to belong to a club. You don't have to belong to a church. You don't have to listen to anybody's opinion. You can do it 
That's how I wrote it. The scales wrap around the reader. It's not hard to get because of the way I designed it. Yes. Now I'm understanding. I, I, it's just I'd never, like you said in the beginning of the podcast, there's no book to compare it to. So I didn't really know what to do with it when I for, when I right. through it. And I'm like, I do understand like some of it. But now that you've explained it better, like in person on the podcast, well, I guess we're not in person, kind of virtually in person. I do feel like I have better. I'm going to read the whole book now because like right. I, I get what you're doing here. I didn't know it was like to help us be happier help other people right. their lives be happier. That's just really great. Um, Missy, do you have any questions for Jim? So is there going to be a, a part two to this book? <laughs> have you thought about that? Or do you got any more information that you could say? Well, let me, let me say this. Let me say this. Uh, I have not discovered another scale since in about, I don't know, 15 years. Okay. Now, I had a long period of time, like a 50-year period of time, during which I was discovering scales. And again, not all at once. Sometimes I discover some, and then I would find additional levels. And once I got to the idea that it's seven, that really sped it up. But it's conceivable that there are other scales that I haven't figured out. Uh, so I guess if there were a second edition and I had those additional scales, I certainly would include them. Right. Uh, I'm not optimistic about finding more levels. Um, but I have to tell you, this book is so all-encompassing. It's so complete. This is a quantum step forward for the human race. And let me tell you how it works, okay? You drive a car, right? When you take a car out on the road, there's all kinds of signage. No left turn, red light, stop sign, no U-turn. Dotted lines, double yellow lines, right? There's all the signage. You have to obey those signs, okay? That's why you have to take a test in order to get a driver's license, right? And you have to prove that you know these things or they don't give you a license. Because the consequences of moving around two tons of steel at high speed are so great, you have to have laws. If you do not obey the signage on the road, you can kill people. You or can yourself. kill yourself. Yeah. You can get your license taken away. Okay. All kinds of terrible things. You can get a lawsuit. Okay. They can take away all of your property in a lawsuit. All kinds of terrible things. So anybody with half a brain, when he goes out, he follows the signage. He stays on the right side of the road. He doesn't make a U-turn in the middle of the street when there's a double yellow line. Okay. That's just common sense. That is what this book is like. This book gives you 30 roadmaps, or you can think of it if you want to, as one big roadmap to tell you, this is how to live. This is how to function as a human. And also to realize, this goes across all lines. This, this applies to anybody who wants to improve himself or his life and can read English, regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, history, uh, social class, religion, culture, economics, education, profession. It goes, cuts across all of that. Have you thought about having so, it translated? Uh, well, first of all, that sort of scares me. Uh, because you don't know the context. Spent, yeah. Because I spent so much time expressing this in a way that would connect with people. 
I have no confidence that somebody else is going to translate this in a way that's going to work like that. I understand. Uh, uh, yeah. Secondly, secondly, before it would be translated into, as I said, there are uh, is at least 400 million people who have published this book. Okay. In the nonfiction publishing world, if you sell 10,000 copies, that's considered a success. If I were to sell 10,000 copies of this, some big publisher would want to take it over and contractually unable to do that. I still have control of that. And they would see there's money in this. Okay. Yeah. Now at that point, there would be a second edition and I would make some changes. Uh, and at that point, then if it went even bigger than 10,000 and got up to, let's say 50,000, then it might make sense to have it translated. To start working with people, someone closely maybe that could explain the language to you better, like mm -hmm. whatever language was being translated into. Right. That's really good. That's the, the, problem is, the problem is, for example, let's say somebody wanted to translate it into French. I don't know enough French to right. be able to help the guy make a choice. Now, I know some Spanish and Italian. I know quite a bit of Latin. But of course, nobody reads Latin anymore, <laughs> except nutty scholars. Catholics do. <laughs> they sing it. <laughs> the uh, not too many. I don't know if you know, the church went, it went to Vatican, the, yes. the vernacular after yeah. Vatican II, which yeah. is like, what, 1963? Well, I used to you run know. sound in churches, and I worked in a Catholic church when in my 30s, and uh, they had a Latin choir on Fridays, and they sang uh -huh. a cappella Latin. It's beautiful. Right. It's just beautiful. It was so, I love right. that was my favorite thing in that, that, that job was to do that night, you know, mix that night. It was beautiful. So. Unfortunately, none of the people in the, in the building understood what they were saying. Yeah, no, no, they didn't understand, but it was beautiful. So, you know, <laughs> they didn't know that. So, so if, I, if I were working with somebody in a language that I know, like Italian or Spanish, okay, I could be of use to the person and say, no, that's not the right word. But but even then, you know, I don't have, I'm not fluent in those languages to a point where I consider myself bilingual. So in order to translate any book, you have to be bilingual, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm not optimistic about that. But the good news is that, is that most of the upscale people in the world, most of the educated people in the world, in any country, speak English now. They do, yeah. There's, there's, a, they people seem to know English all over the world, and it's just right. a dominant language. So, when, whether you go to Israel or Japan or Russia, you know, that's the language they teach in school. That's your foreign language, okay? Yeah. Because, because if you want to function in the world the way it is today, uh. You better know those languages. I mean, it's a big drawback to not know English. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that from other people overseas, too. Like some I have a right. friend uh, in Serbia who says her mother doesn't speak English. And she, when she first told me that, she said, I'm so embarrassed to say this, but my mother doesn't speak English. And I was just like, right. why or why are you embarrassed? And she's she's like. She kind of explained, you know, because everybody else does and my generation right. and that generation, and she just never did, you know, and she, she found it in their culture to be, you know, for her mother not to know that language, I guess. Right. It just seemed kind of strange to her. She's very educated. 
Um, but uh, yeah, we, we, we could talk forever, Jim. I could, I could sit here and go on and on with you, but we, we've got to cut this short because, you know, we've been talking okay. ever and ever and ever. But I could seriously, like, I'm going to, after I finish this book, I might ask you back to talk about it some more if you want to. Yeah, come. I would like okay. to as well. Yeah, I'll leave, I'll give it to you when I'm done. Yeah. And um, Jim, I just, I do want to thank you for coming and thank you for being so patient with us as we tried to organize getting this scheduled for like four months <laughs> since April or whatever, uh, six and Missy, thank you. And uh, of course, I want to thank our sponsor, Everclear. Everclear is an advice app where you can get advice from psychics and empaths so you can get the clarity you need to create the life you deserve. And of course, lastly, let's thank the listeners. Thank you, listeners. Thank you. Love you. Love you. Jim, would you like to say goodbye to the listeners? Thank you, listeners. Get the book. Yes, get the book. Get the book. You'll be happy about it. It's a beautiful, it's a neat cover too. It's like very simplistic and beautiful. Anyway, uh, thank you listeners. And we will catch up with you next week. We got a couple podcasts coming this week, this week, not next week. Well, yeah, this week, Sunday. <laughs> so we'll see you then. Thank you so much and peace out. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.